ministry year. That's pretty exciting. We're a ways to solidify and strengthen our conviction that the Bible is God's word uh, amidst all challenges and all uh, attempts to dissuade us from that reality. All right. So as we get right into it, today we're going to look both at an introduction to the whole course and we're going to answer the first question, why should we trust the Bible when the Bible is a human book? Uh, so course overview first. We want to just answer to begin with the, and realize that the basic question that everything we're going to do in this course is going to, is going to help us with is answer the question, why trust the Bible? Now, we as believing Bible-believing Christians, as those who follow Christ, we believe that the Bible is true. We believe that the Bible is true. We trust the Bible. Why do we trust the Bible? Because it is the Word of God. We trust the Bible because it is the Word of God. Because it's God's Word, the Bible is true. So we trust the Bible. It's trustworthy because it's God's Word, We know it's God's word because it's God's word. We know that it's true. How do we know that it's true? Because it's God's word. Now that could sound, and indeed does sound, a little bit like it's a circular argument. And at one level it is. But what we really need to realize is that all arguments about ultimate sources of authority, because we're talking about what is the source of ultimate authority, what is going to govern our lives, our realities, our truth, right? The truth. All arguments about ultimate sources of reality are circular at some level. So let's take a different example. Let's take someone with a different authority, uh, a basis for authority. Today it's very common, whether someone might say it in quite these words or not, my feelings are my authority. My feelings determine what is true and what is false. How do I know this? Well, because I feel that that's the case. My feelings tell me that this is the case, that this is the basis of reality. So you see, and you could do that with whether it's someone thinking that their logical reasoning is the basis for reality. Why why do I think that my reason is the arbiter of truth? Because it's reasonable. Uh, I think it's reasonable that it should be so, right? So when we're dealing with issues of what is ultimate in terms of authority, every worldview has this this uh, argument, which is circular. At the end of the day, you, everyone has to come to a ground understanding in reality that something is true because it is the authority, and it is the authority because it's true. And for us, that authority is the word of God. God's word is truth, John seventeen seventeen. Jesus prays to the Father, Your, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth, end of story. The word of God. So this is so the best and simplest answer for why we can trust the Bible is because it is the word of God. We don't actually need to prove that the Bible is true with external proofs. Next slide. So Charles Spurgeon famously said that defending the Bible is like defending a lion. All you have to do is let him out of the cage. He will do just fine on his own. If we just unleash the Bible and have people read it and get into it, it will be its own best apologetic. 
So as you're seeking to witness to somebody, one of the best things you can do, if not the best thing you can do, is get them into proximity and into contact with the Word of God and let it do its confirming, attesting, authenticating work. Disbelief in the Bible, for those who would not believe that the Bible is true, that's actually, the Bible says, a spiritual issue, not fundamentally an an issue with one's mind, not fundamentally an issue with one's circumstances, but it's a spiritual issue. 2 Corinthians 4.4 says that Satan has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot know the gospel. The only way that someone believes the gospel and believes that the Bible is true is by the supernatural work of the Holy Spirit. So this is something which is spiritually discerned. God's Spirit is is miraculously at work, revealing the truthfulness of God's word to his people. So, the Bible is true because it's the word of God. We could stop there, but that would be a very short course, and I expect you want a little bit more than that. Um, when, so even though our basic understanding is that we don't really need anything more than the fact that the Bible is the word of God, That is sufficient, and yet evidences that the Bible is true, evidences that the Bible is true, they don't prove the trustworthiness of the Bible, but they are quite helpful. Why are they helpful? Because they provide confirming attestation, confirming witness that the Bible is God's word, and therefore it is trustworthy. So these... So we're going to spend the the course doing a lot of argumentation for why the Bible's true. That's not ultimately the last word. Ultimately, the Bible itself is the last word. But these other things we're going to use are going to be helpful in getting to remove barriers for unbelievers so that they can hear the word of God and so that the Spirit can work. These evidences also strengthen the faith of believers so that we can have confidence that when we open our Bibles, we're reading that which is true, and that which is truly from God. All right, so the Bible is true, but the Bible is also challenged. Everywhere and all the time, the Bible is challenged. And challenges to the Bible are extensive. Next slide. In our day, the claim that the whole Bible is simply wrong and immoral. Now, let me go back. Those aren't new, right? What is the very first challenge to... Anyone think of what the very first challenge to the Word of God was? Did God really say, you shall not eat from any tree of the garden? Right? So, Satan's very first tactic in approaching humanity was to get them to disbelieve the Word of God. He successfully did that in their case and in all of our cases, which is why we're in the mess that we're in. So... But today, there are some specific challenges. Let's see, we're going to look at a couple of quotes from some famous atheists, some famous atheists that are much more in the public light than maybe people have in previous generations. So this is, how would you answer Christopher Hitchens when he claims, as the slide says, the Bible may and indeed does contain a warrant for trafficking in humans, for ethnic cleansing, for slavery, for bride price, and for indiscriminate massacre. But we are not bound by any of it, because it was put together by crude, uncultured human mammals. So, yeah, he thinks the Bible is immoral, but it doesn't really matter, because it's just 
put together by crude, uncultured people. So it doesn't matter what the, what the Bible says. How about Richard Dawkins? Next slide. Richard Dawkins from Great Britain, he says that the Bible is a chaotically cobbled together anthology of disjointed documents composed, revised, translated, distorted, and improved, quote-unquote, by hundreds of anonymous authors, editors, and copyists unknown to us and mostly unknown to each other, spanning nine centuries. All right, so that's, that's what's out there in the public sphere. This narrative that the Bible is not only immoral, but it's just purely human and therefore irrelevant. Some challenges, and challenges to the Bible are also intensive. We're going to listen. Peter, pull up that video. This is by Bart Ehrman, who is one of the most premier scholars of biblical texts in our day and age. He was a believer... Well, I won't say that. He held to the truthfulness of the Christian faith for many years in the beginning of his career and then moved away to reject the gospel and reject the Bible. Now, his, he teaches a class at the University of North Carolina, an introductory, to, an introductory to the Bible class. Now, this is pretty interesting. He starts his first class, right? And he's in UNC, right? So he's from an area which is still more Christianized than where we are. So he opens up his intro to to the Bible class. How many of you believe that the Bible is the inerrant word of God? Well, lots of hands go up, right? Then he says, how many of you have read the Harry Potter books? All sorts of hands go up, right? And then he says, how many of you have read the whole Bible cover to cover. Like the way you've read the Harry Potter books. Not many hands go up. And he says, so you just told me that you believe that God wrote a book. That God wrote a book. And you haven't even bothered to read it? Hmm? Interesting point. Then he, of course, who wants them to disbelieve the Bible, spends the whole next semester systematically dismantling their, any belief that they might have in the Bible. But at the end of the day, they haven't actually spent the time to read it. To act, you know, God wrote a book and you haven't read it? I think that's, that's a, a challenge that we, you know, God wrote a book and we're not in it the way we feel like we ought to be in it. it just, but anyway, let's see what, what Ehrman says in this video of his deconversion. It's fine. There's, there's closed captions. Are those captions readable? Memorizing the Bible, learning everything I could about the Bible, completely absorbed in the Bible because I was committed to the idea that the Bible was inerrant revelation from God. There were no mistakes of any kind in the Bible. This was God's revelation to the human race. When I finished, I went to a Christian liberal arts college to finish my degree, and I took as my foreign language requirement ancient Greek so that I could read the New Testament in the original Greek language. That oh. began the process for me of realizing that the Bible was not the inherent revelation from God. Because now I was actually reading the original text, realizing that there were problems that had to be solved. I, I felt like I could solve 
I finished my college education, I decided I wanted to study Greek manuscripts for a living. I wanted to become a, a professor teaching Greek and teaching Greek manuscripts. And so I wanted to study at Princeton Theological Seminary. I went there and uh, did a three-year master's degree there and stayed for my PhD uh, four years. During that time, I learned Hebrew, and started reading the Old Testament in Hebrew, and I'm reading the Bible in its original languages. And fairly early on, I started finding problems that I simply couldn't resolve anymore. I found discrepancies, and once I admitted there were any discrepancies, I started finding more. And these discrepancies became irreconcilable. They were actually contradictions, and there were geographical mistakes and historical errors. I realized my entire view that the Bible is an inerrant revelation is something wrong. That the Bible is a very human book. The, the Jewish church, the, the Hebrew Bible, was um, 22 books. These books were all written at different times, in different places, by different authors. Uh, there are centuries between the first book and the, and the last book. Virtually all these books are written by people who didn't know each other, who didn't know about each other's writings. And they have wide, widely disparate views on just about everything. So that if you're reading the book of Genesis, a very different perspective on things, uh, even on who God is and what, what God is doing, from when you read the book of Psalms. And this collection of books, of course, is a collection that humans made. Uh, the, the Bible didn't drop from the sky one day. Uh, these are simply the books that have been in circulation among Jews, and these emerged as the books that eventually Jews said, these are the books that, that we, we find sacred. That started my process. You can stop that now. All right, now this guy, this guy knows what he's talking about. This isn't a stupid guy. Now, what I would, what I would maintain for you is that he says a number of things in there that's, that are actually true. He says many things in there which are not true. And in his case, I think you have an example of what we have in the revelation that we already talked about, which says... The God of this world has blinded the mind of the unbelieving. Now, he's got good arguments that we have to actually look at. And I want you, at the, as we go through this course, to be able to answer those, the arguments that he makes. But I just wanted, we're just out there to just say, challenges to the Bible are out there pervasive and, and, and robust. Therefore... And in many, in many ways that it's more the case now than it was in previous generations because of the internet, because of technology, allows uh, the, more of the technical side of challenges to the Bible and criticism of the Bible, which maybe in previous generations weren't as available to the person in the pew. Well, now you can go to YouTube and hear, and I'm sure Bart Ehrman would be able to give you more videos to explain why he thinks you shouldn't believe the Bible to be true. But... We, therefore, it behooves us to be equipped to answer, to the best that we can, more technical issues about the canon and how it was formed, or manuscript errors. Now, we don't all need to have the same level of knowledge about those things, but wouldn't you find it helpful to have a basic ability to talk with people about the objections that they have? That's the purpose of the course. So, next slide. Yeah, there we go. Therefore, let us be equipped to know why we can trust the Bible. It is not wrong for Christians to assume that the Bible is true, but it's good and right and helpful to learn why we believe the Bible is true.
And therefore, we need to be taught about the Bible, not just taught the Bible. We need to be taught about the Bible. All right, next slide. Every week, we're going to have a different question, why trust the Bible? So today, we're looking at why trust the Bible when the Bible is a human book. Then we're going to go through the Bible, why trust the Bible when it is full of errors. So looking at the inerrancy of Scripture next week. Why trust the Bible when it's full of myths, the historicity of Scripture? Why trust the Bible when the Bible is missing some books, right? These are obviously questions being asked by a skeptic. Why trust the Bible when the Bible has changed over time? Why trust the Bible when it has so many different versions? Now, in, in those questions, some of those, the question is, uh, has a good premise. The Bible is a human book. That's true. Why trust the Bible when the Bible is full of errors? We're going to claim that's not true. Right, So we're going to be shoring up these different, these different questions. That's the flow of the course. And the flow of the course is intentional. We start with God himself speaking, and then we look at how his words were written down, and then how those writings were collected together, how those writings have been copied and preserved for us thousands of years later, and then how the, these different words have been translated into other languages. So there is a flow to the course such that you end up with an understanding of how did you end up with this Bible in English in your hands. All right, but let's go to the, the main entree for today. Why trust the Bible when the Bible is a human book? Next slide. Oliver Thomas in USA Today, uh, he, uh, he tomahawked the idea of the trustworthiness of Scripture. He says, here's the corner we painted ourselves into. The Bible says it, I believe it, that sells it. Yet the Hebrew and Christian Scriptures did not float down from heaven perfect and without error. They were written by men, and those men, he claims, made mistakes. Now, we're going to talk about why, yes, the Bible is a human book. Does that then preclude the reality that it is also the word of God. And we're going to argue no. But the premise of the question is, I mean, let's just think about it. Here we are, we're all human beings. Is there anything else that human beings are involved in that doesn't have mistakes and errors? We're, we, we, ha, we have a tendency as a species to screw things up royally, right? So if the Bible is a human book, they reason, then logically it makes sense that the Bible would be full of errors, just like everything else is full of errors, All right, so according to Thomas and many others, the Bible is untrustworthy because it's, like Hitchens said, written by crude, uncultured human mammals. So the answer to this this challenge is the doctrine of the inspiration of Scripture. So we're going to look at two things. We're going to look at the evidence that the Bible is a human book, it's the the work of man, and that it's the work of God. So, first, the work of men. Men wrote the Bible. Next slide. Men wrote the Bible. There are many types of human authors, right? The Bible was written by probably about 40 authors. It was written by prophets, by people like Moses and Daniel, Jeremiah and Ezekiel. It was written by priests, Ezra. It was written by kings, Solomon and Lemuel, who wrote the end of uh, some of the end of Proverbs. It was written by Paul, Saul Paul, who was a rabbi, written by a shepherd, David, written by fishermen like Peter and James and John, written by tax collectors, Matthew, also known as Levi, written by Dr. Luke, he wrote Luke and Acts, written by brothers of Jesus, so the epistle of James and the epistle of Jude. And 
One of the things that Dr. Ehrman said is absolutely correct. Most of these people didn't know each other. The question is, does that in and of itself make the Bible less trustworthy? We're going to see that it doesn't. In fact, I think that it actually reinforces its trustworthiness. Next slide. The time frame of the human authors. The Bible was written over the period of about 1,500 years, from roughly 1405 B.C. when Moses wrote the books of Moses, uh, probably gleaning from earlier records, so I think it can extend further back, but he's the one that compiled the books of Moses. Um, and then going all the way, we, we are pretty convinced that the last book of the Bible was written around 95 A.D., so a span of 1,500 years. Next slide. It was written in three languages, right? The Old Testament is written in Hebrew and Aramaic. Most of it's in Hebrew, but there are ten chapters in Ezra and Daniel that are written in Aramaic, which was the trade language of that day. Makes sense, Ezra and um, and Daniel were both courtiers in the big empires, and so it uh, makes sense they would write in the trade language. And then the New Testament is written in Greek, which was the trade language of that day. And it's one of the reasons that the that scriptures were able to be disseminated all the way through the Roman Empire is because just about anyone could speak Greek. Next slide. The Bible itself is very clear that it's about its human authorship. So let's look at these different, these different quotes. So, in Paul always signs his letters. Did you know that? All of the original manuscripts. Usually he is writing through a scribe. He's telling the scribe what to write. But one of his marks of authenticity was he always signed his own letters. Galatians 6.11. See with what large letters I am writing to you with my own hand. So he takes the book from the scribe and then he writes. And he writes with big letters apparently. How many of you write with big letters? Yeah, you don't want to say that. Okay, next slide. Big letters. He also says this in 2 Thessalonians 3.17. I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. This is the sign of genuineness in every letter of mine. This is the way I write. So that if you got one of these letters, you could know that it was indeed from Paul. All right, next slide. All right. Styles of human author. Oh, well, actually, also, I want to, I want to quickly go to Luke chapter 1. This also explains how the Bible is, has no problem with seeing itself as the work of human beings. This is what Luke says as he begins. Inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us, it seemed good to me also, having followed all these things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, that you may have certainty concerning the things that you have been taught. So he is saying, I went and found sources, and I compiled them, and I have organized the material, and I am writing them out in an orderly fashion. Right? That was his work, Luke's work. All right, styles of human authorship. We have different genres of biblical literature. We have the letters, we have narratives, we have laws, we have poetry, prophecy, proverbs, parables, both enacted parables and written parables. We have wisdom literature. We have apocalyptic literature. So all sorts of, you know, you go to a bookstore and you have the science fiction section and you have the history section and you have, you know, all sorts of different genres of literature. Now, all the genres of literature in the Bible are actually, 
are actually writing true things, but you have different kinds of writing, which is why you can't read Psalms or Proverbs the same way you can read an epistle. And if you try to, it's gonna, you're going to end up with weird. So we have to interpret our, we have to actually understand the human dimension of genre in order to be able to understand the Bible rightly. There's different levels of um, the language. So, for instance, Luke is an educated doctor and a Gentile whose first language most probably was Greek. He writes at a higher level of Greek and more difficulty in the vocabulary and syntax than John does. John is probably not a native Greek speaker. He's a fisherman. There's a difference in how much he... Uh, a difference in the level of Greek. Does that make sense, right? If you're a native speaker of the language, you're going to probably have a greater vocabulary and ability to, to speak technically. The Bible was not just dictated from God, nor was it discovered already written. Yes, like the, like the guy said, it didn't come down from, just come down from heaven, oh, right? Yeah, no problem. It didn't drop from heaven, but it, and it was undeniably written by human authors. The question is, does that mean it's not true? And that takes us to the next idea, which in the next slide, God also wrote the Bible. Human beings wrote the Bible. God wrote the Bible. Now, sometimes that's extremely easy to see. Sometimes it's because what's being said in the scriptures are direct revelations that come from God, like God's direct speech. When God is saying, you know, to the woman, to the woman and the man, you know, uh, you know, uh, in Genesis three, you know, or he says, talking to the serpent, and he says. Um, because you have done this, cursed are you above all cattle and all beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. And uh, you know, I will put enmity between the seed of the woman and the seed of the serpent. When he's saying that, that's actually God's exact words that are recorded down. Or we know from Exodus 31 that God, with his finger, actually inscribed the tablets that had the Ten Commandments. Actually says they're written with the finger of God. Really cool to think about actually getting to see that. Um, so sometimes it's God's direct speech. Sometimes it's prophecies. Thus saith the Lord, the God of Israel, to Jeremiah. And then it says, you know, I do this, I do this, I do this. And the I is actually God. God is telling Jeremiah the oracle, and Jeremiah is writing it down. Sometimes there are dreams where God speaks or an, or a or his angel speaks in a dream, which we can tell are the direct speech of God, or there are visions, or sometimes uh, God appears to appear and speak um, in the narrative. Uh, So there's lots of direct speech where God himself is the one speaking the words. But we don't have to stop there. We don't have to say, okay, well, let's look through the Bible and let's look for all the places God actually is saying something directly, and then we can discount the rest of it because that's just people. No, that doesn't, it doesn't work like that. And we get this from 2 Timothy 3.16. Next slide. This, is, this, along with a couple other scriptures, are where we get our main understanding of the doctrine of the inspiration of scripture. 2 Timothy 3.16. All scripture is breathed out by God. A special word that, um, that Paul coined. It's not found anywhere else. Breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, 
for correction and for training in righteousness. So he doesn't make a distinction between the things that God said and the things that are written in the scriptures that were, say, a historical account. He says all scripture is, is the breath of God. Now, when you think about the breath of God, you know, that's the work of the Holy Spirit. So all, all scripture is the work of the Holy Spirit breathed out by God, which means that the nature of Scripture is different from any other book. Scripture has as its origin the breath of God, all Scripture. All right, next slide. The dual authorship of the Bible. How does this work? How is it possible that we have this book, which is both totally the work of man and totally the work of God? There's a a technical term which is helpful Verbal plenary inspiration. Is that on there? No. Verbal plenary inspiration. The words are inspired, verbal. Plenary, all of it is inspired. So all of the words of Scripture are given by the Spirit of God. This is one of my professors, Rob Plummer. This is what he wrote. And it describes the orthodox doctrine of Scripture. While the authors of the Bible wrote... As thinking, feeling human beings, God so mysteriously superintended the process that every word written was also the exact word he wanted to be written, free from all error, breathed out by God. Next slide. The Holy Spirit, we know a little bit more about that process from Second Peter. It says, For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. As he's looking back at the writing of the scripture, he's talking about the fact that God carried them along by his spirit as they were writing. God's will, human will, working together. Next slide. We see this in a couple of passages in Acts 2. Uh, Acts, Peter's talking, he's talking about the need to replace Judas, and he says this. This is really interesting. Brothers, the scripture had to be fulfilled which the Holy Spirit spoke beforehand by the mouth of David concerning Judas. So who spoke? David or God? In in the passage he's about to quote. Both of them. God is speaking through David. Next slide. Acts 4.24. They're praying. They say they're they're about to quote Psalm 2. It says, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, why do the nations rage and the peoples devise a vain thing? Right? So David, but he's, been, he's acted upon by God in saying these things. Human and divine wills working together. Which if you think about it, there's other ways in which that happens beautifully when you think about the scriptures, think about even the, the gospel itself. Think about how the will of man and the will of God work perfectly together such that Jesus went to the cross. Right? What, is, what does Peter say in Acts 2? He, he, he's, he's taking Israel to task and he says, you know, you crucified by the hands of, of lawless men. But what is that accomplishing? Everything that God had promised to do. Right? whether it's in the cross, whether it's in providential circumstances, human will, free human will, unconstrained human will, is superintended by God to bring about his perfect 
result. And in the same way, that's the case with the biblical authors as they're writing. They're writing as themselves with different levels of Greek and the Holy Spirit's overseeing the whole process. This is in contrast, incidentally, just as we consider the other religions that Christianity is out there in the marketplace competing with, right? So next slide. The Quran has a different... Muslims have a different understanding of how Scripture came to man. They, of course, have the Quran, and that, they believe, was a pure dictation. That's just Muhammad, in his vision, received the words. He was not involved in his will in writing it down. He just, the, God told him the words. He wrote them down. Right? So, just, that was, so the Quran is deemed to be just a work of God, not a work of man. Next slide. Uh, back one. The Book of Mormon, similarly, uh, is uh, conceived of as that Joseph Smith gets told where the golden plates are. The golden plates have the, the scriptures, and he just translates them using the seeing stones or whatever. So in both, of, both Mormonism and in um, Islam, the, their scriptures are conceived of as only the work of, of God, not in any way, shape, or form the work of people. But what we have in the doctrine of, of scripture is real people really writing their real thoughts but overseen and superintended by God. So the Bible is neither dictated nor discovered. Uh, what we have is a verbal, plenary inspiration, God using the process of human authors by the power of his spirit. All right. So that's what we believe. How can we defend it? What are were the witnesses to the inspiration of Scripture? Next slide. There are multiple witnesses that affirm the doctrine of the inspiration of Scripture. One is the Bible's explicit witness. The Bible itself attests that that's the case. We've already seen that. Second Peter, Second Timothy explain how that the Bible's the Bible and its writings were breathed out by God. We also have the witness of the prophets. We have the reality that the Old Testament, especially, looks forward in history, and things that it speaks come to pass. Right? Whether it's the fact that, you know, Micah prophesies in about 700 BC where the Messiah is going to be born. He's going to be born in Bethlehem. Or, say, Isaiah prophesies 150 years before it happens, two empires before it happens, prophesies that he's going to raise up Cyrus and calls him Cyrus by name. Says, I'm going to raise up a man who isn't even going to know me, and I'm going to raise him up. His name's going to be Cyrus, and he's going to accomplish my purposes for my people. That's 150 years before it happens. So when earlier revelation of Scripture is... Uh, is uh, um, fulfilled in later scripture, especially all the prophecies about Christ. As we go through all the Old Testament, we see the, the beautiful, multifaceted way where the Old Testament is saying, we're looking for a Savior, and here's what he's going to be like. Not one of his bones will be broken. Oh, what do you know? Even though ordinarily in crucifixion his bones would be broken, his weren't. So we see prophecy and fulfillment. That's an example of the witness to the truthfulness of Scripture. We see the church's historical witness, what the early church has always believed about, that has always seen that the Bible is a divine and human book. Next slide. Let's look at some of the church fathers. Polycarp says 
The scriptures are the oracles of God, and whoever perverts them are the firstborn of Satan. So he was, he was the, that wonderful bishop who died by, by flame at 87. Irenaeus said, We should be most properly assured that the scriptures are indeed perfect since they were spoken by the word of God and by his spirit. So these are very, very early. These are Polycarp's spans the first century and the second century. Irenaeus is early second century. Justin Martyr, second century. Also, the writers received from God the knowledge which they taught. This knowledge was too great to have been acquired other than by the divine gift which descended on men whose sole function was to present themselves pure to the energy of the divine spirit. So if anyone says, well, you, the doctrine of, 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 you know, of scripture, you know, you evangelicals just invented that re- relatively recently. No, 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 no. The whole church has confessed this from the, from the earliest days up to the present day. Now, there, now, here are some things which are real but are starting to get more subjective. Your personal witness, if you're a believer, affirms that the Bible is divine. How do you know? Because the Bible has created and worked its supernatural work in your heart. That's a witness now, that may not be acceptable to an unbeliever, but you can testify that the Word of God has done its divine work in you. You regularly experience the divine power of the Bible. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimonies of the Lord are sure, making wise the simple. You have come to experience that if you're in Christ. You have a saving relationship with God through Jesus, and particularly because that has, you've been born, Second Peter says, by the enduring and living Word of God. The Bible has brought you to newness of life. Your life is totally shaped by the transforming power of God's word. And, 2 Peter 1.3, you have everything you need for life and godliness in God's word. So, our baptismal testimonies are a witness to the truthfulness of scripture. Whether or not your buddy that you're talking to is going to accept that, you can say, my life has been changed by the power of the truthfulness of the word of God. And, that's, and that, whether or not they accept that, that, is, that, should, that should anchor your soul. It's significant evidence that the Bible isn't just a human book. But then I think the one that trumps, not trump, I won't say trump, one of the things that I think we need to really be able to rest in is the witness of the resurrection of Jesus. That is what nails down the fact that the Bible is both human and divine. Let's see. Yeah, we, here we go. How's that the case? The resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead is the best evidence that the Bible is a human book, but also a divine book. Why? Well, Jesus himself considered the Old Testament to be a divine and human book. Right? He's the one who sometimes says, Moses said, sometimes he says, the commandment of God, sometimes he says the word of God. He's constantly referring to the scriptures as the word of God. Now, if Jesus is just some guy, who cares what he thinks? So, but let's establish Jesus thinks the Bible is the word of God. Jesus commissioned his apostles to receive the word of God and teach the word of God. And he authorized the Holy Spirit to Bring to mind everything that he taught them so that they could both write it down and teach it. So Jesus commissioned his apostles on the basis of the truthfulness of God's word. And he goes back, right? What does he do on the Emmaus Road? 
when the two disciples are sad and discouraged because they're not sure what the heck is going on, he takes them to Scripture. And he opens up the Scriptures and he says, look, everything written about me in the prophets and the Psalms and the writings must be fulfilled. So the whole basis of his work and ministry is based on the truthfulness of and its testimony to him as the Messiah. He is God in the flesh. He's authoritative king of the, of the universe. He died as a sufficient and substitutionary sacrifice for our sins and rose again on the third day. According to the scriptures. My little daughter's doing uh, sparks for the first time this year. 1 Corinthians 15, 3 and 4. All my sparks kids that are here. What did that say? Christ died for our sins. What? In accordance. I'm, I'm hearing the moms and dads. I'm not hearing the kids. <laughs> Leah. 1 Corinthians 15, 4. Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures and that he was that he was Grays? No, 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 not you. You're not a wanna kid. You were a long bear. That he was buried, raised again on the third day. What? In accordance with the scriptures, right? The whole basis for gospel ministry is the fact that it's fulfillment of the scriptures. And if Jesus really rose from the dead, that proves that he's just not some dude. The resurrection proves that he is the God-man. If he is the God-man, and he says to you, believe the word of God. This is the word of God. You better believe it. Right? Our understanding of the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead is the linchpin of why we believe the scriptures to be the word of God. They speak of him. He speaks of them. He gives them all of his authority. So if you believe Jesus rose from the dead, then you have a solid foundation upon which to build your trust in the Bible is the word of God. If you believe he rose from the dead, even if you aren't yet in Christ you should let that drive you to the reality that the Bible is the word of God and you should be seeking to live your life in accordance with it, first and foremost by believing in him whom God has sent. All right, our conclusion. The Bible itself testifies to the inspiration of Scripture. The Bible's relationship to history, especially the fulfillment of prophecy, testifies to the inspiration of Scripture. The church from the earliest ages testifies to the inspiration of the Scriptures. Your personal testimony and experience testifies to the inspiration of Scripture. Jesus Christ, by virtue of his resurrection, testifies to the inspiration of Scripture. These are reasons that should give you confidence that the Bible is the Word of God. And that means, that has some implications... We know that the Bible, if it's the word of God, is without error. Because God does not lie. We know that the Bible is authoritative. Because it's the word of the sovereign God of the universe. Who has all authority. We know that it's infallible because the word of the Lord never fails. We know that it is sufficient. Because God does not leave his people lacking any good thing. So, so much depends, first off, on the fact that the Bible is God-breathed and every word of it is his word. That is what's going to be the foundation for what follows. Let me pray.
Father in heaven, I want to thank you for this time. Thank you for these folk. We pray that whether believer or unbeliever, that they would grow in their confidence and assurance that the Bible is where it's at, that it is the word of God. Lord, I pray that none of us would be stymied by Bart Ehrman's challenge. God wrote a book and you haven't read it. Uh, Lord, may we be people of your word and may it do its good and perfect and eternal work in us. In Jesus' name, amen.